I'm good. I got it. Yes. <laughs> All right. Technology is not my um, forte, so sorry about that, but I got it. We are recording. Um, so good evening. It's so nice to be here and to see some of you all, um, some that I have known for a while and some I'm just getting to know. Um, but one thing we have in common is that we've spent this time studying the book of Ezekiel together, and it's just just such a privilege to be with you all and to learn from you and to study alongside and grow together. So it's something that is just, I don't know, I just love that God builds community for us like that. So over the last several weeks, we've sort of taken a magnifying glass and looked closely at the text. And this week, I would like to kind of zoom out and offer more of a bird's eye view of the things that um, we've been studying and learning about. So I hope... um, in our small group time that we could kind of dive into some of those things that maybe we just glossed over or still had a lot of questions about or didn't even get to discuss um, during that small group time or discussion group time. And then um, during this teaching time, I hope to kind of give an overarching summary and then um, some thoughts to think about how is this relevant in our lives today? What, you know, how does this book change our lives and how we live? So, Let's see. Let's start back at the beginning, sort of a summary of um, where the book began. In 2 Samuel, God promised David that one of his descendants would be on the throne. So this is before the time of the book of Ezekiel. Um, After David was on the throne, Solomon took the throne, and then Israel split into two kingdoms. We had North Israel, and we had the South Judah. Um, And one one of David's descendants remained on the throne Um, of Judah. So during the time of Ezekiel's life, the Babylonians came in and they attacked and they took the first wave of exiles to Babylon and that included the king and Ezekiel. So Ezekiel was one of the captives taken to Babylon um, during that time. By birth though, he had been Um, in the line of the priest. So he was prepping and being um, prepared for priesthood. So the book of Ezekiel opens up, if you recall back, um, with him getting a vision from God. And this was about five years after he had been held captive in um, in Babylon. (laughs) So he wrote that beautiful description of his vision and what he saw. Um, And he described that vision as the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. And this is similar to that vision of what Moses saw on Mount Sinai. And it's also similar to the description of the presence of God over the Ark of the Covenant. When he um, saw that vision, he fell face down and then he heard the voice of the one speaking. So this was God's call on his life. God called Ezekiel to be a prophet and to speak prophecy to the Israelites in exile. And in his calling, he gave Ezekiel both warning and comfort. He told him not to be afraid, and he told him to speak these words regardless of the outcome, whether or not the Israelites were going to listen. So then we get our first kind of weird thing that happens. Ezekiel eats a scroll But the word um, tells us that when he tasted it, it tasted as sweet as honey in his mouth. So it's just a beautiful picture of just how sweet the word of the living God is. And then after reading this, more bizarre things happen. um, And we get the sign acts of Ezekiel. So he performs a series of sign acts. God told him to set up little scenes. Lynette called it, um, you know, like he was playing army man. So he built 
the, um, the sins, and then he laid on his side for 390 days for the sins of Israel, and then he laid on his other side for the sin of the house of Judah, and um, God gave him instructions on how to cook and eat things that were not very, um, didn't sound great to me. It was kind of weird. Um, so he, but he shared that he was going to cut off the supply of Jerusalem and that the people were going to eat and drink their food in anxiety and in despair. The last sign act that we read about was in chapter 5. Ezekiel shaves his head, and God reveals that he's going to inflict punishment on Israel. And Ezekiel was the man to prophesy these harsh warnings. So it was about this point in the study, I was talking to my husband, and I was like, do you think Ezekiel was just strange before all of this? Like, was he, like, kind of an eccentric guy, maybe, that God was like, oh, you'd be the man for the job. Um, But (laughs) I don't think so. We got to talking, and it's more like the seriousness of his message God was using him like a a person running out of a burning house. The house is on fire. The house is on fire, you know, and he was sent to warn people. So he went to extreme lengths to warn people of of the issues of the sin of Israel. Um, And it just made me pause and think about his obedience, how he was willing to just listen to God's calling on his life and just be obedient to that. Um, So I'm going to have a side story. Um, So as I was studying, parts of it were hard and difficult to read and understand. Um, And sometimes, you know, I'm like, God, what what does this mean? Um, But I think that the last couple weeks, God has just given me a little more clarity in this. Um, About six years ago, God shared with me that I want you to be a stay-at-home mom or leave my work my job from um, full-time to be part-time work. So I don't know why he chose that path for me. I don't know, um, you know, it's not the path that I had chosen for myself, but many times I, you know, I want to leave that path. I want to go back into other things or go back to work. But two weeks ago, I was sitting with one of my kids doing study and things were a little unclear. And um, he goes, mom, you know, am I going to get baptized? And I just had this beautiful moment with him of God just working in his life and just um, God being faithful in that. And then God was like, hey, Renee, I'm really going to show off. (laughs) And three days later, my mom calls me. She's just moved out of state. And she said, "Um, will you come baptize me? And I was just blown, blown away. So sometimes when we're just walking on that path with God, he'll just pop up and show you, like, here, here I am. <laughs> um, and he'll give us those little glimpses of clarity. Um, and, you know, I was thinking, too, it was like sometimes I want to feel like I'm working or doing things, but really it's God that is working, and it's God that is the one who is making all things new. Um, so I want to go back to Ezekiel for a bit. Um, God sh- was sh- sharing with Ezekiel that he's going to destroy places. So in chapter 6, um, we 
read that he's going to destroy some by sword, some by famine, and others by plague, but he's also going to save some. So we start to see that piece of God's mercy woven into this story. Um, And we also hear that phrase again and again as we're reading, so that they will know that I am the Lord. So that is a very relevant um, piece of scripture in this book. So in chapter 7, God continues to say he's going to pour out his wrath and he's going to bring out his judgment. In chapter 8, the elders of of Judah are visiting with Ezekiel, and this was about a year after his first vision. This is a second vision God shows Ezekiel, and this one really shows about the sin that is going on in the temple. God shows the idolatry that's been taking place. He shows the, um, the jealousy that's happening and the detestable things that are happening. In chapter 9, we read about the six guards and a man in linen. They are about to wipe out Israelites, except they will save those that are marked with a taw. And my Bible has a note that says that this is the final letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it's also the shape of a cross. So this sort of reminded me of when we were in um, Exodus and we were reading about the Passover story, and the angel of death passed over the houses that were marked with the blood of the lamb. Um, We know today Jesus is our lamb. He was the final lamb. So our present day eyes should know that God's plan has always, always been Jesus. Um, And we see his plan of redemption from the beginning to the end. It's not hidden from us. It's on every page of the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. So it is that narrative throughout the Bible that is just so clear as we dive into the Old Testament. In chapter 10, we read about the glory departing from the temple. So the physical presence of God on earth is leaving the temple. And this might have, this was very relevant to those in exile because prior to this, you know, the glory of God was only there, but now they see that it has, it is going to move, or Ezekiel sees that. Um, In chapter 11, God says that he's going to issue judgment on the leaders. He's going to inflict punishment on them for the conforming to the nations around him. Um, And the glory of God had to leave because of the sin. Because he is so holy, he cannot be in that space with them. But in chapter 11, he also promises the return of Israel, and he promises to be a sanctuary to them while they're in countries that are away from the promised land. And he says that he will remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Um, And that's the sort of end of the vision that Ezekiel was shown. So this chapter, we read about God's judgment, but then we also, um, sorry, this chapter kind of transitions us into a section of text that talks about God's judgment on Israel specifically, and then as we get further into the study of Ezekiel, he talks about his judgment on the nations around Israel, and then on his judgment of the world, Um, but we'll get into those further next time. So chapters 12 through 14, Ezekiel starts to use parables and allegories. We get a lot of poetic language um, and a lot of very graphic descriptions. So the first one was, um, sorry, um, we have, sorry, Ezekiel acting out another another section. So he 
packs his bags and digs a hole. And this was, you know, some of the captives thought they were heading back to Israel, but Ezekiel showing them that the, the city is going to be stripped of its um, contents and laid to waste. And then God speaks out against the false prophets. So he talks about there was prophets in the land that were saying signs of peace, and they were sort of just whitewashing over all of the issues that were happening. So um, it is both speaking of their physical condition of the city, but also their spiritual condition. So they kind of were saying, everything's great, everything's great, and we're whitewashing these walls. But then when a storm comes, the walls come tumbling down. Um, And God kind of positioned Ezekiel, on the other hand, to issue those warnings. So in chapter 14, the elders came to Ezekiel, and they were talking to him. Um, And Ezekiel, God told Ezekiel what to say, and God says, tell them to repent, to turn away from their idols, to renounce those things that are detestable. Um, And God also shares that the nation of Israel cannot escape his judgment. There is so much sin, there is so much... Um, idolatry going on, they cannot escape it. But if an individual will turn and repent, then that individual can um, be saved. But just like the whole, whoops, the whole nation was um, going to be judged, no one individual, and he referenced Noah, Daniel, and Job, no one individual was going to be righteous enough for the nation as a whole to be saved. Um, and then he shares that they would be um, consoled when they saw the sur- some of the survivors that were saved because their conduct would be so um, detestable. They would know God's judgment was just and it was with, not without a cause. All right. And then 15 through 18, God uses the parables. And I jumped ahead of myself when I was speaking, but this is where um, he's using the parables to speak to us. So he talks about a vine that is not useful and God sets um, turns it into, or throws it into the fire. And then he talks about the parable of the unfaithful wife. And he says, you know, there, he um, looked on her with pity and compassion and adopted her and clothed her with splendor. And then she was more like a harlot wife. So um, it's pretty hard language, I think, to read about, but it just shares the the state of Israel at that time. Um, but at the end of chapter 16, God in 1659 through 63, he shares a prophecy that talks about an everlasting covenant. And um, the message version says, when I make atonement for you, I will leave you speechless. So this is foreshadowing of Jesus coming and the everlasting covenant that we have in Jesus. Chapter 17, he speaks of the parable of two eagles and a vine. And then chapter 18, he talks about the sour grapes. So basically, it's not your parents' fault. If, if you're still in sin, you can repent and turn from your sin. All right. So how does this leave us today? How are his prophecies relevant or, or applicable in 2023? So I just had some kind of questions as I was um, wrapping up. So one I thought, you know, how are we being obedient to God's calling in our lives? Are we living the calling that he has placed on us? Um, Are we seeking repentance for our sins? I think Tess did a really nice job um, talking, leading us with Psalm 51 um, as a prayer that we can pray for forgiveness of our sins. And I just copied the first verse. It says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, 
According to your abundant mercy, you blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. And we know he is faithful and just to forgive us, and he can separate our sins as far as the east is from the west. So are we going to him and repenting? Are we clinging to God, or are we chasing after our own idols? Are we just seeking him and seeking his face, or are we looking at what the world has to offer us? Um, Our sin is serious, and it has a serious consequence, but thank God we know the one who paid that consequence for us. And he paid the price that we could not pay. Um, So we can come to God with a sincere and gracious heart. We know from reading this, God is just, God is holy, but he is also full of mercy. So this book might be convicting to us, but in John 3, 17, um, we read, God did not send his son into the world to condemn us, but to save the world through him. So I think that that is just an important piece to remember. Um, I had a couple other psalms that hopped into my head during my study, and the one is, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? I know there's a lot of scary things that happen, some within our families, some uh, the other faraway places, but the Lord is our stronghold, and we don't have to be our fra- be afraid. Um, and then Psalm eighty four ten: Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. So, do we seek God as our place of dwelling? Um, and then ninety Psalm ninety one. I know that's kind of a go-to for anyone if you have not read 91. It's a really good one for if you're dealing with struggle. Um, But in verse 4, he says, under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bucket. So I just picture God holding us tightly under his wings. Um, And the last one, I don't know if there's any reggae music fans, but there's a reggae song that's by the rivers of Babylon, and it stems from Psalm 137. Um, And I just, I was listening to the song and I heard it differently after reading this book. It says, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and we wept as we thought of Jerusalem. And I just thought, I wonder if those in exile, if they were weeping for their own grief, for kind of how how, um, maybe their own sinful nature, or were they weeping because they missed Jerusalem, or were they weeping because they remembered how bad and off track things kind of were. So I don't know the answer to that, but I just had more questions about that um, after reading this. But I pray that, you know, as we study the Bible, as we meet in community, as we grow to know the word of God more, that we're just not conformed to the patterns of the world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. So that is my prayer for us tonight, and I hope that you all have excellent discussion, and I love being here on Tuesday nights with you all, so I'm going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, God. Thank you for um, just being patient with us and kind with us and teaching us as we dive into your scriptures further, Lord. Thank you for all of the ladies that are here this evening, God. Thank you for um, those that have participated in this study, Lord. We um, are just so grateful that you give us this time together, God. I pray that you will be um, in our discussions with us and help us just to um, dive deeper in knowing you and understanding your word, Lord. And thank you so much for the gift of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.